I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Thank you. Yes, we did. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Candidate Confessional. I'm Sam Stein. And the audio you're hearing here is from December of 2010. When President Barack Obama signed a bill striking down the 16-year-old policy barring gays from serving openly in the U.S. military. So this morning, I am proud to sign a law that will bring an end to Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Don't Ask, Don't Tell. In 1994, the Clinton administration had adopted a policy which, at the time, was seen as a compromise between gay rights and a conservative military establishment. Under the plan, new recruits would not be asked their sexual orientation, but soldiers and sailors would still not be allowed to openly declare their homosexuality. It is the best way to proceed because it provides a sensible balance between the rights of the individual and the needs of our military to remain the world's number one fighting force. Don't ask, don't tell allow gays to serve, but they did so under the constant threat that if their sexuality was discovered, they could be discharged. As the years will by, the gay rights movement gained more ground. Don't Ask, Don't Tell increasingly started to look like an anachronism. But it proved stubbornly difficult to dislodge. That is, until 2010. I want to thank the Democrats and Republicans who put conviction ahead of politics to get this done together. At that ceremony, the president specifically thanked a number of lawmakers who had made special contributions in the fight to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And he made sure to single out one congressman seated in the front row. A guy you might know, uh, Barney Frank. For nearly 30 years, Massachusetts Congressman Barney Frank had been the most visible and vocal openly gay politician in the country. Gay men and lesbians will no longer submit to unequal treatment. The fight to allow gays to serve openly in the military had been central to his career. He was in Washington when Don't Ask, Don't Tell became official military policy. By not allowing officially and legally a zone of privacy when you're not regularly in the company of your fellow soldiers, it's putting too much of the onus on the gay and lesbian service members themselves. And I can't accept that. And he was there 16 years later when it was finally repealed. Let's not have any libel of the honorable gay and lesbian and bisexual people who want to serve their country and are being rebuffed by people on the other side. Today on the show, I sit down with Barney and I hear the whole story from his point of view. Welcome to Candidate Confessional. Now, before we get to Barney... 
let's just set the scene here, because where the story really starts is in the midst of the 1992 presidential campaign. For the first time in a race for the White House, gay and lesbian issues were an important part of the campaign. That year, Bill Clinton became the first major party nominee to really make gay rights an issue. And what's more, he explicitly promised to do away with the ban on gays in the military. Every day that we discriminate, that we hate, that we refuse to avail ourselves of the potential of any group of Americans, we are all less than we ought to be. And so, in the gay community, Clinton's election was greeted with jubilation. We're here! We're clear! We're going to the White House! But the issue was far from fait accompli. Clinton's biggest obstacle was a highly skeptical military establishment personified by the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, one Colin Powell. I've got to consider what you say to a youngster who might come and say, Sergeant General, in the most private of my accommodations, I prefer to have heterosexuals around me and not homosexuals or gays. Powell's concern, and the concern of most generals, was that introducing the element of open homosexuality into the military environment could hurt unit cohesion. We are trying to build the greatest level of coherence and cohesion in a unit where people depend on each other totally for their life in, in close combat situations. That is not a place, in my judgment, to introduce sexual differences. The problem is that it would cause problems with the others. It was the kind of what, what we call in civil liberties talk the heckler's veto, the notion that you can't make a speech because other people are then going to misbehave. So what Powell basically said was, oh, no, you, you, you people would be fine, but it is the prejudice that other people have towards you that makes this, a, this an unsettling is, fact. This is the foundation for the morale argument, essentially, yeah. which will, which basically says, you know, you will hurt the morale of the heterosexual soldiers because they'll be looking over their shoulder, yeah. uncomfortable in the bathroom. I, the best answer to that comes from uh, my husband, Jim. We were not, well, I didn't know him at the time, but he, he was in on the successful conclusion to this fight in 2010. And he said, right, let me see if I understand this. You are in the military. You're out there in battle, and you are there when your best friend is shot to death, and you see your friends bleeding and torn and battered, and you're expected to be able to live with that. But the notion of a naked man in the shower <laughs> next to you who might find you attractive, you, uh -huh. can't, you can't handle that. Uh -huh. That's, I mean, it did not say much for the— But this morale argument sort of held until, you know, much later in time. Right, yeah. and the reason is this— um, it was partly uh, believed. It was more that they, things had changed. When the bans on gay people first came up in America, people didn't feel that they had to hide this. I read this even the seventies. Hey, I know. What are you telling me? I got to be nice to a fag? No, they're bad people. Yeah. By the late eighties and nineties, it was no longer if you weren't an outright bigot like Jesse Helms or Anthony Scalia, who succeeded Helms as the bigot in chief in America. Um, it wasn't proper. You, you, it, it wasn't respectable to say you didn't like us. So they had to come up with reasons why you could have these policies. For example, the reason uh, we couldn't get married was that if we got married, it would destabilize straight marriage. Yeah. A nonsensical argument. But they didn't want to come right out and say what really motivated a lot of these people. You know what? We don't like one of them. So two of them hanging out is even well, worse. Well, in each case, it's the, the premise is that we heterosexuals are too weak-minded, too yes. weak-willed 
we can't we can't handle. Yes, yeah, I said as Jim as, yeah. as Jim said, so, my husband, that uh, you you can put up with uh, death and being blood shot and at and, and and carrying your bloodied comrade, but, uh, but you couldn't stay. So I read this. I had not remembered this at all, but in preparation for this, um, in October 1992, uh, a man named Alan Schindler, a gay naval officer, is murdered. Do you remember this? Does that name? Sure. Can you tell me what happened? He was on ship, and apparently it, they knew he was gay. And uh, on shore leave, he was cornered in a urinal by uh, a much bigger comrade, I think, with somebody else. And they just, they beat him to death. They just bludgeoned him to death. And it was it was clear that it was because of his homosexuality. Yeah. Yes, it was. In in what ways did this um, reverberate politically? Well, it's interesting. Um, on the one hand, of course, it might have been rationale. Our uh, 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 ammunition for that rationale. See what happens. A man is gay and it makes these people crazy. But on the other hand, it undermined that argument because the power argument basically uh, blamed the victim. Oh, you guys are good. You know, By now, after power and chaining together, we're not a security risk. We're perfectly good soldiers, but we're not allowed to do this because other people will misbehave. But when the other people misbehave by beating somebody to death, that kind of undercuts that. People don't want to be associated with the notion that it's okay to beat someone to death, that that's a yeah. good reason uh, to, to – uh, to, to, that the way you protect people from being beaten to death is to deprive them of their rights. Yeah. Um, and so that, that, that just reverberated. In, in some ways, it was – people will remember the much more publicized but more recent Matthew Shepard. Of course. Murder. But the Schindler murder, particularly among the gay community, had the same – uh, impact as the uh, Matthew Shepard murder. Now, Clinton, um, in, in this milieu, Clinton comes, Arkansas governor, you know, n- not exactly known as, um, he's not a liberal. He's a, he's sort of a centrist Democrat, but he decides, um, he's very progressive on gay issues. Probably the most progressive, definitely most progressive Democratic candidate at that point in time. And he decides that he's going to call for an end not, to the not, not on his own. There was a member of Congress who uh, was very close to Clinton, Tom Downey, a yeah. liberal from uh, Long Island, who I was very close to. Uh, we worked together on a lot of things. And uh, he felt, you said, Clinton was seen as a centrist, and Downey's argument was, no, look, he's probably the most liberal guy we can get elected. Yeah. This is, you know, after Mario Cuomo says he's not running and other people in 92 bow out, and Clinton really then seems to be uh, the most electable liberal, uh, or the most liberal of the electables. Downey has a meeting in his office in uh, the Capitol complex in the House office building uh, of uh, five or six of us with Clinton in which Clinton can make his pitch to liberals. And at that point, I asked him about the ban on gays in the military. I I think that is the first time he addressed it and said, here's where we are. And I said, you know, Cheney says this and Powell says that. We're not bad soldiers. We're not uh, uh, security risks. The only problem is other people don't like us. And he said, yeah, I agree with that. And I said, you know, it's an executive order. You get rid of it. So it was at that point um, that he said, yeah, he would be uh, – he, he would, if he was president, uh, abolish it. You represent a community of our nation's gifted people whom we have been willing to squander. We can't afford to waste the capacities, the contributions, the hearts, the souls, and the minds of the gay and lesbian Americans either. And I, I don't think people who are listening to this would will understand just – how big a uh, decision move uh, that was, was in the context. It was enormous. Um, we got lulled a little bit because he said that. And um, 
he repeated a couple of times during the campaign. So Clinton wins. Uh, but before he takes office, I think this is sort of a critical moment that's kind of lost in history is a judge yeah. rules that the existing policy is unconstitutional. This now forces Clinton's hand in a way that he probably had not been in. I'm glad you said this and that's so unfair to Clinton. What happens then is that uh, in the fall during the campaign, a gay sailor named Keith Meinhold – Keith Meinhold is one of more than 1,000 service men and women kicked out of the armed forces each year for homosexuality. He sues on the grounds that it's unconstitutional. He files suit, one, but the Navy refused to reinstate him until the federal court threatened a contempt charge. What his argument is that, what, is it the same argument that upheld gay marriage, that it's a, it's a right to serve or something like that? It's, yeah, well, it's, a, it's discriminatory. I would guess, I don't remember the thing. Uh, the basic argument in that case is you're being denied equal protection of the equal laws. protection. Okay. Yeah. So now what happens is he decides that Clinton is now president elect, and the decision to appeal or not to appeal is going to come within the first few weeks of his presidency because it was a deadline. And people have unfairly said, "Well, why did you guys make that the first issue of the presidency?" And the answer was, "We didn't. We didn't want it to be." We just but, – but he had no choice. Had this judge not had this decision in forcing Clinton's hand, was it your contention that Clinton would have waited? Oh, absolutely. Okay. He wanted to start with health care. He wanted to start with uh, family and medical leave and some other things. Yeah. Uh, Which this, did come up first in the House, but then it, this all gets very complicated. No, it it yeah. came up in the Senate and, and that's why – And that's the vehicle, yeah. OK. But before we get there, you had an instant uh, incident um, where you uh, relayed a conversation about – um, gays in the military that you had with Clinton to David Broder. I told Broder, uh, I saw Broder in the immediate post, pre, you know, just a This day is the or famed two. Washington Post, probably the yeah. biggest political reporter of his day. Yeah, in a couple of days before, but again, I, and I underestimated the, the kickback. Uh, we were talking, and now, by this time, um, the decision had been made, so he was going to have to decide it, and I reaffirmed that with Clinton and I said to Broder, yeah, well, he's going to go forward and get rid of it. So Broder, that's when I realized this was a bigger story than I had thought. And uh, uh, so <laughs> You had gone an entire campaign where no one noticed this. Then Broder picks it up and suddenly – It becomes a big boom. story. Um, but it's magnified by the fact that Colin Powell, the African-American chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, comes out strongly in favor of maintaining the policy. And at that point when people say, well, isn't this like the segregation? He says, oh, no. Race is a benign condition. I think the issue, uh, the issues are quite different. Forty odd years ago, we already had blacks openly in the military and had them for a hundred years. It was a question of equal opportunity once they're in the military. And we were talking about something that was a fairly benign characteristic with respect to skin color. With respect to gays in the military, it is a, for us, a far more complicated issue. He said, well, being black was a benign condition. Race was a benign condition. He meant, Does I'm pretty sure, benign. malignant? Well, that's exactly the problem. He meant, I'm sure, benign as opposed to active, that race was something. Oh, you can choose or something stupidity, like that. Stupidity, but not. But, which was, an, which was a, a thinking. It's antiquated, obviously. But it was but, what yeah. people thought back but, then. But obviously, the obvious uh, antipode to benign is malignant, yeah. as you say. And then within the Democratic Party, Sam Nunn. Yeah. who was a, a committed bigot, um, 
Georgia Democrat. Yeah. But what happens is Powell comes out against it and none come out against it. And all of a sudden it's a huge issue. So we're now into January. Clinton is president. And through no fault of his or mine, this becomes one of the first items on the legislative so agenda. So now people are probably saying, well, OK, Clinton, why not just you know get rid of it by issuing some sort of executive order saying – I'm the commander in chief. This is how Here's the reason. One of Clinton's important campaign promises was to women's groups and particularly women in organized labor to sign the bill that gave family and medical leave as a matter of right. Yeah. That's now – that's one of those things that the private sector, the right wing said was going to destroy business in America. In a transcendent piece of legislation. Yeah, and it's been in – and it says that you can take leave for having – uh, children, maternity or paternity, etc. It was a very important piece of legislation. It passes the House and it comes up in the Senate. Now, the Senate has no rule that says amendments have to be germane to the legislation. Okay. The House does. Um, in the Senate at this point, when this comes up, Bob Dole sees an opportunity and he played a very bigoted role in all this. Um, Bob Dole sees an opportunity with Sam Nunn's support. Um, while it is true Clinton as president had the power simply to abolish the order, mm -hmm. it was a policy that Congress could have reinstated by statute. Now you can say, well, why wouldn't Clinton veto it? But here's the problem. The Republicans then announce that they will offer a reinstatement of the ban or a statutorization of the ban if it hasn't yet been abolished to the Family Medical Leave Act. So then he's forced to veto. Yeah. So he, the choice then would be either you accept writing into permanent law the ban or you disappoint this big promise. That's, that's what broke our back. So they agree to withhold the amendment to the Family and Medical Leave Act in return for Clinton holding off on an executive, on order. executive order so the Family and Medical Leave Act becomes law. And then, uh, but he's, you have this um, situation where he's uh, and now, and now this is a full on like mega media story. Absolutely, it's a big one of the biggest stories in the uh, in the country. And as I said, now people also said, but why didn't he just order Colin Powell to go along? Well, Colin Powell was in his last few months as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. What was going to do? Fire him? And by the way, how would it have helped our cause? I've asked my gay and lesbian friends if, in defense of our equality, Clinton fires the leading African American. I mean. One of the great strengths we've had on the LGBT issues is the strong support we've gotten from the Congressional Black Caucus and others. Sure. That would have dinged it a little bit if it had been the uh, and the Powell thing. So that's the story. That's what happened. Now, how then, much time had Clinton bought himself for a compromise? Six months. Six months. So and they, let's talk about the activism that starts erupting because on the one hand, you have LGBT or I guess gay rights groups at the time um, – and they're sort of nascent. It's not what it's not the political force that you see today, but they're there. Um, you have some predominantly Northeast liberal Democrats, and then on the other hand, you have what is a wave of very uh, impassioned phone calls flooding Congress, saying, "Yeah, Do well, not let what, this, this is the first time I came to some serious separation on strategy and tactics from my friends in the LGBT." Movement. It was mostly the transgender issue had not surfaced yeah. as much yet, um, and the uh, the problem was, and it was a pattern to be repeated over many years. They, our opponents, lobbied Congress, 
and my allies had rallies. Um, I remember at one point Dick Durbin, who was a strong early supporter, Senator Durbin of our equality, saying to me, hey, Pony, where are your people? My, our offices are getting flooded. The offices were getting flooded with antis. The Democrat, the, the pro-gay groups were having rallies. They formed a, uh, the campaign for military service, and I had strong arguments with them. Um, and I, I could not believe And I said, well, you got to get out there. One of the things that hit to me was, no, look, part of the problem was um, the strategists who surfaced in the movement were people whose expertise was in political campaigns. And what they said was, all right, here's the deal. We don't want to go out too early with our efforts to persuade. We have because— why? <laughs> well, in a political campaign, they said, you know, people can change their minds, so we're going to hold it to the, the end. I said, yeah, here's what they didn't understand. The audience here was not the average voter. It was the members of Congress. Members of Congress were making commitments. Once a member of Congress has made a public commitment, she can't change her mind the way a voter can three days before the election. Uh, in fact, at one point, Ron Dellums, one of the great civil libertarian defenders of people's rights in the history of the American Congress, an articulate African-American who had been a Marine, it's now chairman of the Armed Services Committee in the House. None is the chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, and he's using his committee to propagandize against us. Um, he goes into submarines and asks people, what do you think? I mean, I, he had many more hearings about us than NATO. Um, Ron Dellums wants to have a hearing, and outrageously, one of the worst things I ever did, I, the, the people running said, you've got to ask Ron not to have the hearing. I said, I think it makes sense. No, no, it's very important. The whole community agrees. So I said, Ron, they'd like you not to have the hearing. He was heartbroken. I was ashamed of myself for asking. It was really stupid. This articulate. Why did you, what was the rationale for not? I don't know. I never could find out. They were holding their fire. I mean, it was this terrible mistake that they were going to make. They they had this powerful campaign that was coming. It was just stupidity. I can't. But then we have uh, rallies. That was the year, 1993, that there was a big gay march on Washington. There'd been one in 79. This is the biggest one. So they have the march, and uh, Tim McFeely, who was the uh, head of the Human Rights Campaign, one of the important organizations at the time, has written about this. He, you, they couldn't get people to lobby the members of Congress. So people came to Washington, had a big parade, had a big They're rally. in Washington, yeah. marching in Washington. And don't go to the members of Congress. And one of the worst things was we have a... Uh, uh, and and it's a self-indulgence. There was a uh, one of the speakers at the march, a very prominent female show business personality, who says, and this is being covered on C-SPAN, isn't it great that we finally have a first lady I'd like to fuck? Um, uh, this is supposed to be uh, helping us. Damn. Um, uh, and people have tried to compare what we've done to the civil rights movement. Unfortunately, they did it better. I've said, you know what? If in 1964, at the March on Washington, or 63, Red Fox had gotten up and talked about wanting to have sex with Jackie Kennedy, they would have thrown him in the reflecting pool head first. I mean, it, it was stupidity. And then at one point, and this something, but he wrote a book criticizing me about it, they had eight of the guys who had been fired for being honest about themselves, very courageous people, and they were lined up ready to go on stage behind the uh, stage. And some idiot decided that it would be great to have them do a kick line. On stage. <laughs> yeah, like the Rockettes. No, just out, okay, off stage. Okay. And I saw him start doing it. I ran over and said, 
God, stomp this. I mean, that's all we needed was for that to be on television. And then, oh, look how stuck, look, look how uh, stiff he is. Look yeah. how, you know, he's he's uh, an assimilationist. But the problem was we did, our, I could not get our side to do any lobbying. Were you, accused, the, were you accused of being like an assimilation? I don't want to say Uncle Tom because oh, yeah, no, that's, that's the wrong. No, still, the, um, uh, but, but, but not being militant enough. Yeah. And I said, well, no, the militance has to do with your goals, uh, being sensible. Uh, no, I, 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 most recently, I'm very proud to say that Kathy Griffin, who uh, I had not met before but has political judgment as bad as any human being I've ever seen, uh, they brought her, for some reason, they brought her down towards the end in 2010 when we finally were able to win this. Sure. And she came down and, and just was talking stupid. And uh, I tried to calm her down at one point, and okay. she later said that she didn't uh, – she didn't uh, think I was really gay because uh, I okay. did not have the uh, the spirit. But that, yeah, the spirit. <laughs> I want to talk about the you use the word propagandize, um, cause, and I was rereading some of the um, clips uh, about these hearings, mm-hmm. and I, you know it's it's weird to to see this language in print uh, because now it sounds like screeching. It's even weirder to live through it. I'm sure. And I want to get – that's what I want to ask you about. I mean some of these quotes uh, from the hearings, commander saying um, homosexuals are notoriously promiscuous. These are congressional hearings. Um, people would feel uncomfortable, uncomfortable feeling of someone watching you in the shower. Uh, this was military personnel uh, explaining why they felt it was impossible to have gays openly serve in the military. And as a openly gay man – uh, you know, it's beyond political at that point. It, it, it is emotional. It's personal. It hurts, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. No, and I would – that's when I began – when I would say, well, you know, the rule in Congress is you don't take things personally. But I would say this is personal. In fact, I was able to kind of make fun of it. It was so ridiculous. Um, the point man that Bob Dole appointed, the, the, the Republican point man, this is back when they were going to put the amendment on. And the, the guy who became the point man – is now – what is he? Is he the head of – not the CIA. It's a Senate, former Senator Dan Coach from Indiana. He okay, has, yeah. He's, in a, um, he's DNI, DNI. Yeah, Director of Natural Intel, National Intelligence. Yeah. Um, he and I debated at one point uh, on TV and he said, well, you know, you can't expect straight men to want to take showers with gay men. I said, Dan, he was uh, – he'd been in the house. He said, Dan, you and I have been together in the showers in the house gym. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm a gay man, and I quoted Alfred Hitchcock. Um, Alfred Hitchcock once said this, you know, uh, people complained that they had shower phobias after Psycho. Yeah. And uh, I said, I'm going to borrow this from Alfred Hitchcock. You know, we, we gay men, we, we are in gyms, we are in locker rooms all over the place, and we get sweaty, and we do not have ourselves dry cleaned. Um, <laughs> we, we showered. You've showered with me. I, I don't I, – Frankly, it wasn't that big a deal to me. I don't know about to you, um, uh, but that was uh, that was the argument. That uh, yeah, and, and but it wasn't. It, it just I, it just couldn't get over reading this stuff. And and I and, and I, Sam Nunn going and you know yeah, uh, yeah of course. It, but people way, don't remember how what it was like back then. Um, I mean, it was it was bigoted. It was openly bigoted oh, in no, a way no that question. you would never conceive uh, of today. And um, the problem was that the, the you know when when. One of the prominent speakers at the gay march talked about how she'd like to have sex with Hillary Clinton. That does not – that reinforces the promiscuity. Yeah. They care about sex sure. over everything. So – but what then happens is that Clinton in good faith does try to negotiate a deal. Yes. Let's go to that. So how – what is the negotiation? Les Aspen, who was a very supportive guy who had been secretary – was appointed secretary of defense, is put in charge of negotiating. 
he was trying, and I, at that point, by the way, I proposed compromise. People got angry at me. Let's have a situation where when you're on duty, in uniform, on base, you don't discuss your sexuality. Off, you, but you cannot get in trouble if they, if, 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 when you're off the base, when you're off duty, whatever, you go to a gay club, you, if you, if you live with somebody at home, that's okay. Um, on your own time, do your own yeah. time. Yeah. And, uh. That would have violated the morale doctrine that Powell had put out there. It would have vitiated it. Would, yeah. yeah. We won't tell you, but don't, you know, but both You might know me in personal life that yeah. I'm gay. But I'm, yeah. this is, sure. it would not have been perfect, but it would have, been frankly what a lot of gay people do it anyway which sure. is at any rate the uh so but if they found out it was not it was not a cause for dismissal okay. it was not a cause for discipline aspen tried to sell that and what his report to me was at that point powell said he would accept that powell says to aspen according to aspen i'll support that but i need to have at least one of the other chiefs remember there's a chief for each of the service, sure. there's air force army navy and marines they get a separate one and the chairman and none of the other chiefs would go along. In fact, the head of the Marines at the time, I forget, he was particularly vicious and bigoted. I forget his name. So they couldn't get that. The best they could get was this don't ask, don't tell, which was – Do you know how that concept came about? There's there's some emails released uh, by the Clinton Foundation recently that suggest that it was Powell himself uh, who in written notes, they had him – he, he, uh, he, he scribbled, stop asking. And that that was sort of the intellectual foundation of don't ask. You know, that – I never liked that. I helped lead a fight against it. It would have been an improvement of the status quo except that even that, once it went in place, the military didn't abide by it because sure. they did ask and they did swoop. And uh, my criticism of Clinton, I mean, you know, I hope this has become clear. Clinton was very courageous and it was not – he was ready to be with us. He was forced to back down only because they were going to kill the family and medical leave bill. But one, he was so traumatized by it that once it became – the don't ask, don't tell policy. The military then did not give even that minimal benefit and they misused sure. it. Well, and let's describe people. what the actual compromise was. So they hash out a deal and under it, you cannot be openly gay. Um, what else? You are uh, – you, are, you, you can't, cannot be asked if you're gay. You cannot be asked if you're gay. And you, you cannot could, do anything that manifests your being gay. Sure. And you can be expelled from the military if you show a propensity or intent – to do a homosexual, a homosexual right. act. So if they, uh, you know, if you announce you're, you're living with someone or whatever, if you have a picture of your spouse, the problem was that they went beyond uh, that and they asked and they and they accepted anonymous reporting and they, you know, uh, monitored uh, activity. So um, theoretically, it was if you are living very discreetly, if they find out, I and mean, the spirit of it would have been if somehow. People find out that you're gay despite your efforts to keep it quiet. You're not penalized. Correct. And they, you could they, declare that you – you could declare that you are gay or you could be found out that you're gay. But you could show that you would, uh, were strictly going to follow the code of conduct in that case and you would ne not necessarily be exposed. And they, and they flouted that. They just absolutely flouted that. So did anyone like the compromise? Um, no. Um, I think uh, – when it went and, – and so then when it went to – Wait, wait. I got to read. This is where I want to read the New York Times piece. So this is this is how the New York Times wrote about it in their piece. And the piece is dated July 20th, 1993. The headline is Don't Ask, Don't Tell, Don't Pursue. So it was Don't Ask, Don't Tell, Don't Pursue. Uh, I didn't realize it was known as that first. Is White House's compromise solution, new U.S. military policy tolerates homosexuals. 
The last graph of this piece says, under the new policy, the ban against homosexual conduct remains. A person can be a homosexual as long as he or she does not act like a homosexual or tell too many people. Recruits would not be asked if they are homosexuals, nor would anyone on active duty be officially asked. If asked, no answer would be required. I could not get over the line that as long as he or she does not act, act like a like homosexual. Um, and by the way, the problem was that they did not eat. As bad as that was, they didn't live up to it because they did pursue. Yeah. They did investigate. They did uh, accept so that it, it, it became – it was almost a trap for some people. And uh, So no one liked the compromise. No. And in fact – when it came out, um, and my criticism of Clinton at the time again was, and he's been largely unfairly criticized over this. He really did do his best, and he lost through no fault of his. But once it was there, he tried to make he tried to make it seem like sort of a win, which it wasn't, and then allowed the military to abuse the spirit, and they did pursue, and they didn't give even that little morsel of uh, of, of support. If you were particularly tough, you could deal with. It. I had a a, a, a police officer from the, a town in the district I represented, who uh, Steve Morin, who was a gay man. He'd uh, uh, been an MP, and then he was, in the, and he was in Iraq in the military police. He was a police officer. And he then came back. He was gay, and uh, he was my driver. I, in his off-duty time, I paid him as my driver. And um, he was uh, called into his reserve unit and the uh, commanding officer of the woman uh, reported that he'd been seen in a uh, in a gay bar in Providence, Rhode Island. He lived near there. And he said, uh, ma'am, are you asking me if I'm gay? She said, no. He said, okay, am I dismissed? You know, can I leave? I mean, he, he knew his rights. And he, yeah, yeah. But mo- in other cases, they, they kind of coerced people into doing it. So, no, I thought it was a terrible idea. And, in fact, uh, Gary Suds and I then together – Offered an amendment, and the for the house, they the bill came forward. It was then they made it statutory because they didn't trust him not to amend it. So don't ask, don't tell became statutory uh, that year. We offered an amendment in that. There were two amendments in the house, one from the right which said no, ban flat off. out ban, yeah. and then one from the left our side which said no, flat out repeal of the ban. And I remember being asked by the Democratic leadership, please don't make people vote on this. Uh, a lot of Democrats don't want to. And, yeah, I would say, look, I'm not going to gratuitously put my colleagues at risk if there's no gain. But I said to them again, this is personal. I can't not do this. I can't sit by. What was the vote? Uh, we got about – we got a majority of the Democrats. Uh, but we lost – I think we got almost no Republicans. And I forget it was uh, almost two to one uh, for the main – against our amendment. And then in the Senate, Senator Boxer, that's where she came in. That was her first year in the Senate. She came in 92. Um, she offered the amendment. So we, we offered those amendments and we lost. But there is a next step to the story. After the break, the next step. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. All right, welcome back. When we left off, Don't Ask, Don't Tell had become official military policy. And the gay rights movement was left pondering what its next move would be. Now, there was a general assumption still that this policy couldn't last, that the momentum was on their side. But few would have guessed just how long it would take to repeal. At the time that this happens, what, what's your realistic uh, assumption about how long it will take for this policy to be wiped off the books and actually allow gays to serve openly in the military? Um, I think we're making real progress. But here's the deal. And it, this uh – Turns about to be the case. I also knew then, and this is still the case, no legislation that is supportive of equal treatment for people based on sexual orientation or now gender identity wins unless you have a Democratic Senate, House, and President. You have to have the trifecta. So I began, I, I thought after a few years, we can probably do this. The next time we have a Democratic Senate, House, and President, and in fact, that was the case yeah. because in 2010, the end of that – You just never thought it would take till 2010. You have yeah. a Democratic President, yeah. House, and Senate. Uh, I didn't foresee that we were going to lose in 94 because remember at that point, the House in particular and mostly the Senate went Republican for 12 years. But the next time we got a Democratic President, House, and Senate, uh, we were able to do it. It took to the last minute. But there's one other sure, thing in fairness ahead. to Clinton. He was – Unhappy uh, at the failure, partly because he wasn't supportive of of, uh, of our equality, and he felt some political sting. And I then volunteered that I talked to him and said, "Okay, we lost in this, and I don't blame you for losing." And as I said, it was the votes were there to to stop it. But there are some things you can do on your own without Congress that will help LGBT equality. And he agreed to do all three, and they have been very important. One was uh, to say for the first time, Janet Reno had the legal authority to do it and did it, that if you were being persecuted in your home country because you were uh, gay or transgender, you could get asylum. Yeah. And that's been used for, I don't know, a lot of people since then. Secondly, they did send out a letter from the office of personnel management saying, please be clear that people being gay or lesbian cannot be taken into account in promotions or hiring. But most importantly, Clinton on his own as an executive order repealed the Eisenhower executive order that said we couldn't get a security clearance. And uh, that was 41 years later. And by the way, we had gone through John Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, and Jimmy Carter, none of whom had done that. And that underestimated, and Clinton deserves enormous credit for that. In fact, People don't realize security clearances apply to millions of people, yeah. not just everybody in the military who works for the State Department, who works for the Department of Energy, et cetera. But if you're a private citizen working for a company that has a contract with any of those, sure. a law firm, an accounting firm, an architectural firm, construction firm. And during my years when I was 
one of the kind of the ombudsmen for gay and lesbian people in, in, at the federal level, the single most common problem brought to me was I work for this or that company. We just got a contract and the FBI is now investigating to see if I'm gay. And in fact, there was a, one of the founders of the gay rights movement, a great man named Frank Kameny, since died, uh, who was a crusader. He set himself up as a non-lawyer, as an expert in defending gay people in security clearance uh, really? situations. And he was good at sort of <laughs> forcing micro them. practice there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and when we passed the bill. He was put out of business. Yeah. When, Clinton, when Clinton signed the executive <laughs> order, he said, well, he had mixed feelings. Because <laughs> we put a, so to give Clinton his sure, – Clinton yes. deserves credit. He, he, for, for Clinton he has a – I think it's not a controversial thing. He has a mixed reputation on the issue of gay rights. And, it's and you think it's unfair. Totally unfair. Okay. The, he did everything he could uh, within his power, including trying to get rid of this, uh, appointing people for the first time to confirmable posts and doing uh, – but now what was interesting is – and people ask, well, wait a minute. Well, look they, at the Defense of Marriage Act. I mean that that's like the big uh, federal marriage amendment stuff that came later in his time. Yeah. yeah. That's what the big knock on Clinton is. Well, yeah. Well, well, what happened was in 96, that was again Bob Dole. Clinton's running against Dole and they they put that on his desk and, and – He just felt electorally but, he but had to do But before it. that, when he got rid of the uh, – when he when he got rid of the um, security clearance ban, mm-hmm. the theoretically they could have done the same thing on security clearances they did with gays in the military. That is, they could have put legislation on. Yeah. The problem was they didn't have, and you correctly focused on, they didn't have the morale argument because people don't people at the Department of Commerce don't shower together. I mean, you know, civilian employees. We yeah, well, it's voluntary, <laughs> uh, so they could not make that argument. Yeah, that didn't stop them. There's a right wing former congressman named Bob Dornan, um, who uh, people may not remember him, but they will remember his uncle, uh, who played the Tin Man in the Wizard oh, of sure. Oz. Actually, it was a great Hollywood fight. He ran against Gregory Peck's son in a classic Los Angeles congressional race in the seventies, <laughs> um, but. Um, Dornan was a super uh, homophobe who ultimately was defeated. Um, he claimed it was a kind of a lesbian conspiracy when he lost to uh, Loretta Sanchez. Um, and in fact, he tried to prove it by showing that a large number of women had voted in his election from the same address. It was This is a true story. Uh, and he said, how, you know, how, how could... 32 women all be living in the same place. It was a convent. <laughs> um, uh, uh, literally. But um, the, um, he announced that he was then going to uh, file a bill because On the this, security is 90, stuff. this is 95, yeah. so yeah. it's only a couple years later. And I at that point said, and I'm proud of this, I said publicly, all right, here is the deal. I obviously don't think that it's a security risk to be gay. I don't think I'm a security risk. If on the other hand, it was to become the law of America that if you are gay, you are a security risk voted in by this Republican Congress. I would consider it my duty to report to the appropriate authorities all the gay members of Congress that I know and uh, their staffs. Which, and suddenly. <laughs> well, at that point, by the way, almost all the closet ones were Republicans. The, the, the Democrats were out. And that, he literally backed down because of that. He said – Do you think he had internal caucus pressure? To back down? Uh, yeah. I bet. All right. So Don't Ask, Don't Tell, you correctly calculate in 93 that it won't uh, effectively be repealed until Democrats control all three branches – or two, both chambers in the presidency. It was 2008 when you finally got the presidency in both chambers. Well, not. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. January, yeah, January, January 2009. 2009. 
remember in 2009, the first thing out of the box is health care. Yeah. And it's complicated because the committee well, that first does, thing after the Recovery Act. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. We are also trying to do don't ask, don't tell. And what happens is the House does pass it fairly easily. So the, because you're in the so the House passes the repeal of don't ask, don't tell fairly early in 2010. And we're on track. But it goes to the Senate. And this is a disappointment to me. The Republicans are still fighting it on the whole. And it, it cannot break the filibuster. Who, who, are the big, who are the big voices fighting it? Was, John McCain. It was McCain. Internal discredit. Yeah. Mr. Military. McCain was a uh, – was it was a major opponent of it? Other conservatives, but John same would, arguments too, right? Yeah, morale of the troops. Yeah. Don't put social progress ahead of military. Yeah. yeah, so you know, McCain had been somewhat more supportive, but John, remember he had that Republican primary challenge back in, yeah, and he moved to the to the right. So when McCain, he went down to the border wall and build a dang fence and yeah. all that. Yeah, okay. in two thousand ten is yep. the year he's up for election. Tea party every year. So um, they can't break the filibuster. So we have now. We oh, we included it. Here's the deal. We included This is critical. We made the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell an amendment to the overall military authorization the defense bill authorization, for the year. Yeah. It goes to the Senate and it then becomes – the Senate, it, 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 it bogs down in the Senate because they don't – the Republicans don't want to pass it with this in there. And then we lose the House. Yes. And when we lost the House, I panic because – we say, okay, we can we go back and finish this next year. They're going to have to do a defense authorization. It is now clear to us as of November of 2010, the House has passed the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell and put in the authorization bill. The Senate hasn't passed the authorization bill. What we anticipate is that the Senate may now say to us, the Republican Senate, all right, we, we're going to separate them out. We can't pass them both. And we understand that if we don't get it done this year, you will not get it done until you get the House back. Right. The Barney Frank rule we'll that you need to, to the, have you, all you, the chambers. You need the trifecta. Yeah. Um, at that point, the Senate calls. I remember this. I was have, at a cataract. I, so I get very <laughs> nervous. And in October, I remember the president was up. He was in Massachusetts. And I started telling everybody, the president, um, Harry Reid, Nancy, everybody I could talk to, people in the White House, we now have better get this done this year. We, you know, this is by October. We're beginning so to even before the election, you think the yeah. House might be lost. And we're worried about it. we got to be ready to do this in the lame duck. Steny Hoyer calls me towards the end of the session after, in the lame duck. I remember this. I'd had a cataract operation. Um, and uh, Jim, my husband, had come and was not yet then my husband, but we were living together, obviously. And he drives me back to my apartment here in D.C. And he said, by the way, as I get let's go, Steny Hoyer wants you to call about gays in the military. So I call him. And he said, well, the Senate called me, and they here's what they want us to do. They can't pass the defense bill with DADT in it. They want us to separate it and send it to them as two separate bills. And Nancy Pelosi calls, too, and I'm still getting focused. And Nancy said, no, we're not going to do that. And the reason you don't do that is because you give up your entire leverage. They'll pass one and not the other. Yes. And, and they need to pass this because you have to fund the military. Yeah. No one wants to go home saying we forgot to fund the military. And there's a lot of ego in there because they get their policies in there. And so sure. it's very important to the Senate, including the Senate Republicans. McCain's the senior Republican on this. By now, we've got only a week to go. Here's what we're going to work out. We will pass Don't Ask, Don't Tell as a separate bill. We will send that to the Senate. The day the Senate passes Don't Ask, Don't Tell as, repeal. As a standalone. 
we will then send them the authorization bill. So essentially, you got to guarantee, Senate. You have to guarantee that you can pass "Don't Ask, Don't Tell." But we're holding. We're holding. We'll hold this whole thing hostage. As a hostage, we're going to hold the defense authorization bill hostage. And I don't think they may believe this. Said day down in the well of the house, a wonderful man named Mike Skelton, a conservative Democrat in Missouri, who was going along with it, lost his seat in that year. He had already lost his seat. 2010 was a terrible year. And he had put a lot into the authorization bill. And he was worried the whole thing was going to go down. And we had this emotional scene in the well of the house in which I'd been empowered by Nancy to say, by the way, it made it a little easy because his where my being open was helpful. Um, non the military authorization people would go to Nancy Pelosi. You're the speaker of the whole house. You can't just cater to the San Francisco crowd. You got to got to go through. And you know, it's always easier in a tough situation you can blame somebody else. Not blame, but Nancy said, "Well, no, even if you persuaded me, Barney's going to go berserk, and you're going to have you know all kinds of problems." So, um, so you, get I was, to, you send it to the Senate, and then I was glad to. So yeah. we, what happens then is we do send we send them. Don't ask, don't tell. Easily done. Yeah. Um, Oh, wait, sorry. I interrupted the – so Ike Skelton. So he's – what was the emotional scene? Well, on the floor because he wanted us to send the defense bill. He was worried the thing was going to just implode yeah. and this was going to be his last act in Congress. Yeah, and, and yeah. something he put a lot of effort into and I hated to do this to him but it was you know, beyond personal. Okay. Anyway, we send them don't ask, don't tell and we're waiting for them to pass the uh, – to pass it and then we'll send them the authorization. And maybe they thought we were bluffing but I do remember this – you know, it's getting tense now. This is the last week. We're going to adjourn on Saturday. Senators. Nancy says to me, I think it was on Thursday, okay, uh, we may be getting somewhere. Harry called me, Harry Reid, or maybe it was Wednesday. And uh, he asked me uh, when they were getting the defense authorization bill. And I said, she said, I told him, Harry, you'll get it as soon as you pass the don't ask, don't tell appeal. He said, wait a minute. He put it on hold. And he came back a couple of minutes later and he said, all right, I just filed the uh, cloture petition, which meant he didn't do it, but he was now committed to having a cloture vote. Now, the, the setting here is the Democrats have 59. 59, yeah. OK. So they need, one, they need to gain one Republican, although they might lose some Democrats. There was a fear that they could lose a uh, Democrat. A, a Democrat. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Had Bob Bird was it Bacchus? Then? No, no. Bacchus, was the, Bacchus was fine on this. Bobby Barrett had always been somewhat homophobic. Very. Homophobic. He might have been gone by then. He might have been gone by then. But there was some fear. They Nelson sure. of Nebraska maybe. It was, yeah. I, I remember there was a fear that they would need a couple Republicans. Yep. So um, and, and, and on the other hand, fairness, Susan Collins had come out strongly for this along with Joe Lieberman and they, yeah. and they were talking about doing it. So we knew we would have some. But we weren't sure. And um, – the other issue then came here. Um, McCain, again, to his discredit, joined by Lindsey Graham, and I was very disappointed in Lindsey on this. The other thing that had to be done in the lame duck was the Senate ratification of this new nuclear treaty with Start to. Russia, which turned out to be wasteful and useless and mean nothing uh, because we're not having to deal with Putin. And the, <laughs> At ben, the time, it seemed like a very big deal. <laughs> not to me. I thought it would be crap. <laughs> And it was, the and, non-proliferation and, people Well, especially it, yeah. because John Kyle extorted from the administration a promise to spend another $8 billion upgrading our weapon system. Yes. Which was just counterintuitive. pissed away. Yeah. Um, at any rate, um, what McCain and Graham said, they kind of tried to hedge it. They said to uh, the Obama administration and to John Kerry, if you grab with this, we're going to walk away. If, if you push 
don't ask, don't tell, Phil. We're going to walk away from, from the start. Yeah. Yeah. And the administration, we weren't sure they were going to say no. And I, I did go into my ballistic mode and threaten <laughs> to denounce everybody. And Nancy was also, you know, I couldn't have done it without the speaker's sure. uh, protection. So what happens is Harry tells Nancy, it sounds like the movie, Reed tells Pelosi, I filed the discharge petition. At that point, we knew. Well, we couldn't, you know, if they couldn't get the votes, we couldn't complain. We had, if they made it. Just had to it. get there. But yeah. she and I, she and I talked and we said, okay, we, we'll take that as good faith. So at that point, we brought up the military bill. Okay. And the military bill, what, what's striking, people go back and look at this. I talk about it in my book. The Republicans who always, always voted for the military bill, a majority of them opposed it at that time because they knew it was part of the deal to make Don't Ask, Don't Tell go through. And uh, um, I, I, Said on the floor, okay, here's, and so then Nancy said, okay, but you guys got to help us pass the military bill. And Nancy later said, this is a historic vote. Why? Because you get rid of, uh, you know, don't ask, don't, don't. No, because uh, Maxine Waters and Barbara Lee and Barney <laughs> Frank all voted for the military bill. Um, I, I, on the floor, I said, literally uh, said, okay, let me tell you what I think about this bill. And I held my nose and held up my thumb. <laughs> and um, and uh, the bill passed and went over to the Senate. Sure. Uh, on that, so we did pass it. So you got the military bill passed. The Don't Ask, Don't Tell repeal bill. Um, it was three pages or something. It was very small, uh, and and it was it. It says repeal. Yeah, it was it was, and it passed. A, I, if I remember correctly, it passed four, four or five votes. Yeah, to, to spare. and we got more Republicans. It wasn't. It we wasn't thought. a squeaker. It was well, a squeaker-ish, but it wasn't yeah. that close. The tragedy was it was in competition on Republican votes for uh, the um, Dream Act. Yeah, you know, the, for the, it you was know. such a crazy uh, lame so the, duck session. There was yeah. so much going Immigra- on. The Dream Act lost, and that was the one. Dream Act was the one thing. You know, that there were some Republicans that would vote for one and not, not the, the other. other. You, you can only go off so many times. You have a certain, you, you have this, you know, account. I can only piss off my vote <laughs> so many times and so many issues. Two voting for culture on two very left issues. Too much. Basically, like thinking, hey, can I? Break with my party and vote for culture, which is an overwhelmingly radical thing to do, yeah. on 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 fags and wetbacks <laughs> in the same day. And the answer was some of them no. said, "No, I can't do that." <laughs> All right. So, seventeen years t- after you after this first arises, it's repealed. And what I find remarkable about it, and you might have a different take on it, is just how non-controversial. No, that's exactly that's my take, and that's been the take on everything. That's the secret of our success. It's the, the same sky with, never with fell. De- with, <laughs> you know, it's morale the same never with, suffered. The same with the, with the Defense of Marriage Act. By the way, that's one reason why I felt so strongly that if all we could get was a bill banning discrimination and employment for gays, lesbians, and bisexuals, even if we didn't get transgenders the first time, that was an important thing to do because in all of these led pieces of legislation, the bigots are a small number. What we lose is they persuade other people who have no pickle horse in the race that it will be socially disruptive. And the way we win is we go ahead and we do these things, and it is shown that there is no social disruption, and then you can move on from there. We weren't getting anywhere in marriage because of this fear that it would be so socially destabilizing until Margaret Marshall, God bless her, and the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court do it. We have it in Massachusetts. Within a couple of years, it's created. It has no impact. And both marriage, it is hard for people to remember that both marriage and our serving in the military were once seen as destabilizing two very popular institutions. And at this point, most straight people have forgotten that they ever happened. 
That was former Massachusetts Congressman Barney Frank. Candidate Confessional is produced and edited by Zach Young, the maestro behind the theme music of the show as well. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and spread the word as usual to everyone that you meet randomly on the street. Next week on the show, Jason's back, and we sit down with two insiders in the 2008 push to pass the Troubled Asset Relief Program, otherwise known as TARP. It's a program that probably prevented a second Great Depression. See you then. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.